I remember the Ripper Beauty Bonza bottle of Brisbane Bitter beer sale from the 1970s, 1980s, which oh. was, you know, Brisbane Bitter was around the time of Blimber Goldtop before it was killed off. I want to say 90% of the people listening, we don't know what you're talking about. Welcome to episode 415 of Brews News Week, recorded today, Thursday the 20th of April 2023. I'm Sabrina Kunz and I'm joined today by regular co-hosts Ian Watson and Matt Kierkegaard. Hi guys. Hey Sabrina. Hi. Here we are in the hard-hitting world of news journalism for the beer industry. So um, ABAC have released their first quarter report, which shows an increase in complaints. The Alcohol Beverages Advertising Code has seen an increase in complaints and determinations when compared to the same quarter last year, and they have highlighted the issue of apparent appeal to children. In its latest quarterly report, ABAC noted a total of 57 complaints were received, 39 raising issues covered by the advertising code and were referred for determination, with 14 complaints raising issues that fell outside the scope of the code. Determinations were reached in 23 complaints during the quarter, with nine upheld by the panel with the remaining 14 dismissed. I encourage everybody to read the full uh, report, which is linked to in the article, but they touched on a couple of items, um, one of which was VB sort of Christmas T-shirts, and it was actually upheld that the T-shirt appealed to minors, uh, but most importantly in relation to that, the ABAC re-emphasised that T-shirts and licensed T-shirts fell within the scope of the code. So it basically warned um, breweries and alcohol advertisers to um, be really careful in their licensing. And I'll just say in that one, that uh, T-shirt involved uh, Santa sitting on the Santa chair having a beer. Um, and and beer no-no. cans dressed up as Santa. So it, but it was, I mean, it basically was saying, yeah, it falls within the scope of the code, guys. Um, pay attention. I have to say I found um, this report a little bit sassy, uh, which I quite enjoyed. And uh, one of the comments in it, which I thought was quite pointed, alcohol marketers need to continue to be aware that references to excess consumption of alcohol are not permitted and will not be saved by the use of humour. So um, the reason I say it felt like the report was a bit sassy is it feels like a lot of the um, summary that was at the at the front end of the report could have been at the front end of the report a couple of years ago, and they're just saying, dear industry, you need to pay attention to these things. Um, and the third uh, of the, or, or one of the major um, adjudications or determinations that were made was a consideration of a range of products by Bilson's um, Brewery, but on their um, vodka side, uh, basically saying that they offered a range of drinks that had flavours such as fairy floss, grape bubblegum, rainbow sherbet, tropical punch that are drink flavours known to children. In a detailed decision that looked at the characteristics that can appeal to children, the panel determined that the packaging of six of the products did not breach the code, whereas three did. So quite a technical um, consideration of those points and encourage everybody to go back and take a good look at that. Um, Importantly, as part of this report, ABAC, I think, rather quietly mentioned that they plan to release the the revised uh, code to industry soon. Um, and that's a quote, um, and there will be an industry webinar on the new code 
with the opportunity to ask questions on the 13th of June. So if you are a marketer in the industry, um, I would strongly encourage you to attend that webinar and get as much information as you can when the new code is released. There were quite a few adjudications um, and the Bilsons one was probably the one that we chose to report on um, in depth because they did reference that. And I think drawing on your comment, Sabrina, that you know, it's not good enough to say it's just a joke um, and we're just being funny. Um, it, you know, ties in a little bit with the, uh, they're emphasising the, uh, you know, apparent, um, you know, attraction to children. Um, and it's well worth reading that Bilson's one in full rather than just our summary um, because of the six odd uh, cans that you'd think are fundamentally the same. They were able to distinguish um, between them, and so it's it it shows how nuanced these decisions are, and a bit of a minefield. Um, because you know, I, I would have found it very difficult to differentiate between the the various ones, and it really came down to um, you know some fairly fine you know, differences or some, you know, the, the, the name or the contrasting colours as opposed to the colours. And uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I guess it depends on whether you want to be seen as pushing boundaries and be willing to change or avoid the potential. Matt, what's interesting in that one is, is the piece for me that when, if you were an anti-alcohol lobbyist, you would make the argument that ABAC were trying not to, um, make a decision that all of those cans were similar because to your point is when it's so nuanced and it can fall either side um detractors of this scheme are going to say well it's it's um managed and paid for by the alcohol industry of course they're not going to find those things so i think you know erring on the side of caution and the reason i sort of made the somewhat flippant comment is that the report sounds sassy is that to be honest the the core fundamentals of the points that all of their determinations make is this is stuff we've said before. We ABAC have said this before. Uh, why are you guys not paying attention? And while I appreciate there are some circumstances where you go, it might be nuanced, given that there is a pre-vetting code, if you fell on something that you thought might not might be pushing up against it, just go get it pre-vetted. And otherwise, the code is actually pretty clear. Like, and so I think, I mean, I read it like they're getting a bit of sick of seeing the same thing. That uh, is a demonstration when you, when six of the nine were approved, was it, and three were rejected. Uh, something you and others have said before about when you're taking something right up to the, to the line uh, and it's very easy to do that little step over it. Um, so, yeah, as you said, Sabrina, going and getting things pre-vetted and um, not knowing exactly what their differentiation, I haven't read that um, yet, to, to see what – what that differentiation is it's something that maybe we could we could do some little takeaways ourselves for so that we can look at our own uh designs um before we have to get to that step where that might happen to us yeah and i think like for me it was this question of you know we're going to release after extensive consultation we're going to release a new code soon well i don't think we know yet what the text of that code is and what the changes are going to be but i can't 
we can't foresee that they're going to be more lax than what they currently are, right? There's, there's no world in which they're saying, oh, we're going to roll, we're going to go a bit softer on some of these items, right? So again, you know, I would be saying as an industry, um, when the new code is released, it's incumbent upon every single person in the industry, particularly anyone who's going to brief advertising agencies um, to really, really understand the details of the code and to err on the side of caution. Yeah, and I, I guess I'm being very conscious of not, you know, I, I often come down, you know, pushing the just stay away from it. It's alcohol. I wanted to avoid that. But it's, you know, just the path that you walk. If you go too close, you can easily stray over. Yeah, and as we have seen recently, um, one really big misstep um, can have ramifications for your business. So, you know, err on the side of caution. Um, it, it is the summary from that I took away from this. Yeah. And, um, and look, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing I've said often enough that, you know, it's, 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 we're dealing in alcohol. Um, and when you look at the point about being saying that it was funny doesn't help, you know, you, you don't want to sound like grandpa, but it's it's an adult product and you know it to some extent needs to be marketed as such yeah absolutely um moving on from abac last week um brews news published our um the bintani brewery radar so this is where we're sort of trying to stay on top of all of the breweries that are uh, breweries and brewing brands that are under construction, um, being developed or opening across the country. And we had updates in one month from 28 breweries or brands. And I know within sort of hours of publishing this, there were more updates from breweries. So um, there were five brewery openings, five new bars or venues, two new contract brands, uh, two breweries up for sale, one exit and another 14 in various stages of planning and development. And we have about, at, at Brews News, we're watching about another 35 uh, physical breweries and brands um, that are underway. So a pretty sizable month of growth, inverted commas, if in the sense of a number of breweries coming onto the scene and and mostly in um, small, smaller regional communities. But we're also seeing larger brands such as Four Pines. Uh, they opened a new Noosa tap room, but they also announced um, that they will be developing a tap room um, on the Gold Coast in the old Hard Rock Cafe venue. So, you know, a lot to keep an eye on uh, and a lot of announcements have happened and are underway. So just um, proving how dynamic the industry is right now. And these are the ones that we've been tracking that have been well advanced in their planning. I've been hearing a little bit that some of the ones that haven't yet, you know, ordered their equipment and stuff like that are um, humming and harring, which I think is a, you know, a, a sensible, sensible step. Um, yep. You know, I... Yeah, here's me having sort of said, don't open a brewery for so long. There's never a bad time to open a brewery. There's never a good time to open a brewery <laughs> if you have the right plan. Um, you know, like, I don't, that's, I don't want to be the guy. That's, that's it exactly, Matt. Yeah. I, I, I've heard a number of people say, oh, uh, is this a good time or was this a good time? Was that a bad time to open a brewery? There's always pros and cons. And at every point in time, 
I, I can think of arguments for you to not open your brewery, and I can think of arguments for you to open your 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 brewery. So I don't think there is a a right or a wrong term, a right or a wrong time with whatever we have at hand. You can always make the argument every every direction. Yeah, I think the thing that is interesting is, as you said, there's some of these larger ones that have been in, in the works for a while. I'll take Blaster in WA, for example. That's a fairly sizable move that had been in the works for many, many years. Um, we've got Sober that is in the works on the Gold Coast, some fairly large ones. Um, uh, Mountain Culture just provided an update on their equipment finally landing. Um, but there are, I think, still which are sort of existing brands or fairly sizable businesses that we know that are improving, scaling, making changes. But the ones that are really interesting and the ones that have opened up in um, our brewery radar are actually smaller, more regional. So that opportunity that exists in smaller regional centres to have a brew pub and it to be sort of the brew pub for that community and that neighbourhood, um, we're definitely still seeing that. So moving on from uh, breweries across the country um, and our next piece of news was Carlton Draft big breaks big ad drought. As social media a has increased... Play on words there, Sabrina. Yeah, yeah, that was a bit <laughs> challenging for me to say. I have to... <laughs> as social media has increasingly driven the attention economy, traditional television-oriented beer advertising has largely gone the way of the Sunday night blockbuster movie. With its latest Long Live the Keg creative campaign, Carlton Draft is hoping to recreate a little of the beer advertising magic for the Made for Beer series that spawned campaigns such as The Big Ad and Canoe. While the rise of social media and non-ad-based streaming services has splintered audiences for big-budget advertising, CB's head of classic beer brands, Sarah Wilcox, says the challenge for advertisers was and still is the same. It's really making sure that you've got something that really grabs attention initially uh, and, and she emphasised it's all about entertainment. Uh, interestingly for me in this article, um, we framed up, or Bruce used framed up, said the visuals for the Carlton Draft ad appear to emphasise the traditional 18 to 39-year-old bloke demographic, while CUB didn't agree with that characterisation and said that uh, central to the story, Carlton Draft is poking fun at the slight frustration of an empty keg and doing it in a really enjoyable way that just doesn't take itself too seriously. Yeah, we, we touched on this briefly last week and it was one that I'd been hoping to to, to speak to them about Um and it's it's funny i love i you know i grew up with television beer ads you know and you sort of so maybe maybe i shouldn't say that fair will jump on and sort of say look what it did to you um you know you 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 were groomed um well i could add to that matt i i can still remember the all the words for some of them that were from long before i was age of majority I remember the Ripper Beauty Bonza bottle of Brisbane Bitter beer sale from the 1970s, 1980s, which oh. was, you know, Brisbane Bitter was around the time of Blimber Goldtop before it was killed off. I want to say 90% <laughs> of the people listening, we don't know what you're talking about. Well, because, yeah, but, well, funnily enough, okay, but, but funnily enough, that was what interested me about this could just be a PR thing saying we've done a new ad. But I, I find the way that beer is advertised and marketed fascinating because you know it, it what makes identical beers 
sell or, or not you know what makes great northern over um i can't even remember um the lion version the one with the cattle dog i can never remember it is iron uh, jack iron jack thank you yeah see i can't even remember the name but great northern is everywhere and identical beers um but something captures and it, it's it's something that fascinates me and you know then the, the point that you made, Sabrina, that there's a whole generation of people who have grown up in the post-YouTube world. And that was why I referenced um, the big ad, you know, that famous um, big ad where the people make the shape of a person and the other people make the shape of a beer and they come together. You know, I had to iconic. go look that up. Did you? Don't, it, you didn't remember that ad? No. Wow. Okay. Wow. But okay. No, Thank I, you I for making me feel really old. I didn't. So when you when I read the big ad and I read the word canoe, I had no idea what the reference was to. Well, canoe was forgettable. Um, it was yeah, okay. the attempted follow up, but the big ad is one that you still see on social media, um, and you know maybe less so these days. But it was the first ad. YouTube had only become a thing and hadn't act- and it was still cat videos. So it wasn't the thing that you posted um, things like that to. They actually created. Uh, the bigad.com.au website that no, it no longer operates that they posted it to and there was a real challenge in getting video on but at the same time it was also an ad that went viral before viral was really a thing you know it wasn't you know viral marketing and it was really forward thinking and that they released it in advance of the TV and debuting a, an ad on television used to be a huge thing yeah. and it's you know yeah. sunday night at the movies when every you know there were two or three channels they all tried to pull out their blockbuster movies prime advertising time so i remember that matt i remember the movies on a sunday night so i'm with you there so advertising you know big advertising from companies that had significant budgets was geared around getting in front and capturing people's attentions in that format you know the sunday night everyone's sitting around the television but these days when you've got streaming which by and large doesn't have ads you've got youtube that has ads but people you know have no um you know attention span uh you've got a million things coming through your facebook and your all all of your various things i found it fascinating that carlton draft was going back to this quite long narrative storytelling ad um, and wanted to dig a little bit deeper. um, But they did that just after Bolter, right? Like what's interesting is so these are both coming out of the same uh, house of brands like Asahi CUB and you've got Bolter coming in with with – Bolter's was still a much smaller scale. Like that's that's the thing. There were no costumes. You've got a lot of people in a bar, um, and it wasn't quite one shot um, or anything like that. But I don't know. Like to me, I like, and again, this is maybe sort of the generational difference. They might be selling this as the replacement for the big ad, but the Bolter one required so much thought into putting it together in terms of the food people were eating in the background, the like uh, the scripting. Like it was a highly produced piece of content in a very different way in the sense of but you can say the same thing but that's uh, that's where the execution the production values of the carlton draft ad much more expensive to do than the the bolter ad um 
because like you, you, you had Clydesdales, you had people marching the street, you, you had a cast, you had costumes, you had all of this much more cinematic than, you know, the, the Bolter one could almost have been filmed on your phone um, and, and, and got the same video quality. So, yeah, it, it was a much bigger, but it still wasn't the big ad or, um, as I referenced in the article, Sky Troop, which was you know, a $3 million expenditure um, to try and, you know, and, and they learned a lot that we actually make beer, not ads. Why are we trying to, you know, be famous for our advertising as opposed to the product? Did they say where they're going to place this ad? So I'm just going to read you a little statistic that popped yep. up in a, a post by a company out of NZ called Tracksuit who um, purport to do ROI marketing. I don't know them don't know anyone there, um, but they just released a, a post. And in their post, it says, industry data shows that TV still receives the high share of alcohol ad spend at almost 50%. In Australia, studies show that the top 10 alcohol advertising companies shared over 66,000 ads on TV in the five biggest capital cities, averaging at 75 minutes a week over a 12-month period. In other words, there's pretty stiff competition out there. And so they were talking, referencing specifically. Now, I can't verify those stats. I don't know this company, but I thought in the tie-in to this um, conversation about what Carlton Draft are planning, like, did they sort of give in any any indication about where they're planning for these advertisements to go? I, I did ask. And yeah, like they're, they're, they're going to be splitting it all over, but it's, it's done for television, which I also found interesting. Um, and you will see it crop up everywhere. But... I was really hoping for a really insightful discussion because when you go back and read the marketing people talking about you know these advert like and I'll actually link to um, some panels that advertising people spoke on. It, it, it's it's funny they wanted the questions in advance, and I'm sort of going well, but it's kind of stuff that you should just be able to speak to. I'm not trying to trick you up. I want to engage questions, and you know I don't want your talking points. I want to engage with you to, to ask exactly the questions that, that you're asking. And, you know, when, when you see advertising panels, I'll talk knowledgeably because they're flexing to other advertising people. But when they're talking to beer industry, they're so used to just being told, you know, this is an awesome creative because Carlton Draft is an awesome beer. Um, it was it, it actually got a little bit uncomfortable when we were talking about, you know, don't you think that the blokes in the pub are a little bit... Um, dated you know the or even unoffensive the unchallenging blokes who you know like they're not fit the way that the all of the people in a great northern ad are they're unassuming slightly you know you know very approachable you know 25 to 35 year old blokes um and as soon as i said that <laughs> I, I didn't include this in the ad because it would have just been a bit inflammatory um sarah sort of said oh well, but look at the lady behind the bar and i'm going i'm really sure that you don't want to be quoted on pointing to the barmaid as being an inclusive ad and then so sort of saying but they're there look in the background sure they're not the heroes and i don't have speaking roles but they're the they're the people and to, to answer your question again like maybe i'm speaking for them but you know who your target audience is and, you know, in past advertising campaigns, they've talked about that 18 to 39-year demographic, you know, blokes, 18 to 39. Um, and it was obviously a, a little bit of an uncomfortable question. Even that, Matt, strikes me as really... Uh, and maybe this is just because I'm no longer 18 to 39, 
But even the Aren't venue... are still 39, Sabrina? Oh, shit, I am. Actually, I am actually 39. <laughs> Give it a couple of months. couple of months. Yeah, I, was good. I wasn't going to predate you. Uh, I already... Um, but I, I guess... Okay, so I am still there. But I, the venue itself felt like if you turned around from the bar, you'd walk into the pokies room. Like, it even... <laughs> right? Like, well, even the choice of pub said, screamed to me... 1970s, tall tables, sticky carpet floor. I don't know, like just the whole thing just was didn't seem to be targeting 18 to 39-year-olds. Like who's drinking at that venue? That's the sort of 75-year-old dude who maybe used to drink Carlton Draft. And I don't know, like I just found the whole thing. I know... Um, when we posted it to the Radio Brews News Group and again on, on Facebook when you did this article, but, you know, people thought it was a great advertisement that stood alone, but I still I still come back to I don't understand the audience that they're speaking to, Matt, and this is your very point, right? Like they're targeting a certain clientele and even that clientele I feel like is not as, like would not have gone, shit, that makes me want to go drink a Carlton Draft. Maybe it's something that we can look at as as just a shoring up ad. So, yeah. um, with the yeah. commentary of of who the 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 market is and who is is in the ad, and then looking at um, what Matt said about where their planned uh, release channels are, um, and we think about Carlton Draft, and we think about the the old ad. If we look, marketing and advertising are, are just extensions of sales. Um, and one of the things in sales is that you should put the majority of, of your effort into keeping the customers that you already have because it's cheaper to keep them than it is to get new ones. So maybe this is a shoring up ad. So they're aiming for, for those uh, market. I don't watch television as such anymore. I haven't in a long time. Um, but if we look at, at that age group and what they probably are watching on television. They probably don't watch a lot of television too, but probably what that age group is watching on TV is sport, um, so things that are still on free-to-air. So this is probably directly aiming for those people that are in that market that are watching AFL or Rugby League or V8 Supercars or um, a mainstream sporting thing that is broadcast on free-to-air and that fit in there, and it's a way of just reminding them, hey, Carlton Draft's still here and we're still a beer for you. And, and funnily enough, that I mean, you, you both make a very insightful point, particularly about the, the the ad, because Carlton Draft is the brand that CUB pushes for on-premise drinking. Um, and the subtext of the media release, I didn't publish the media release in full, but there was a statement from the president of the Australian Hotels Association talking about you know, hotels being the place that the community gather. And, you know, it's great that CUB was celebrating that. And again, I wanted to, I would have actually pursued that with the AHA because I think, you know, I'm very strongly on record for saying that pubs aren't that anymore. You know, this narrative that pubs, um, and, it, and it's slightly different um, in every different state because of the local licensing laws around hotels. Um, and I still think Victoria does have a lot of really great small community pubs yeah, um, that yeah. aren't yeah. pokey-driven. And yeah. the, the point that you made, Sabrina, was, you know, you could turn the corner and be in the gaming room, which is the complete opposite of 
that sense of community. In, in fact, pokey rooms destroy a sense of community. And that age demographic, quite frankly, right? Like that age, the 18, and maybe I don't know where problem gambling lives or something. Like maybe I just am completely out of touch. But 18 to 39-year-olds, I can see the post-work. Like I can see, you're right, Matt, in that sort of local Victorian pop into the pub after work, have one beer, you know, um, older pub has always been there but sort of it just felt it just felt like it was speaking to a demographic and again you know and maybe I'm conflating things in my mind um but uh, and they said that the timing wasn't was coincidental to you know the king the king's coronation but again, I don't want to be like, too cynical about that one but I was very surprised that they said that because I thought it was yeah well anyway. I, again it just part of the visual for me I was like oh yeah old dudes in an old pub the people who would be interested in the king's coronation like it all just pointed to something that was a bit sort of I don't know. Out of well, touch. that's where I actually think the audience for this ad, as much as you know, and, you know that that little funny line about because, on one hand, we've all can immediately identify with that situation when you stand up, you get to the front of the line, you order your beers, and it starts pouring. That anticipation for the beer, and then suddenly you get the spray of foam as it runs out, and it's you know we all it know that feeling, relatable. and so yeah. they've taken that insight and built a story around it. Um, and it's quite humorous and it's a little bit over the top the way that they've always done with Carlton Draft. But I actually think the audience for this is CUB promoting publicans, you know, yes. and <laughs> I, I think it's actually selling itself to publicans as much as it's selling the beer. Oh, I um, 100% agree with that, Matt. I totally agree with that. Which is also a very smart move, perhaps on their behalf. Smart. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really smart. I um, mentioned to Matt a couple of days ago that the National Hoteliers Association something, pub something, is going to be on in Brisbane um, in July and I'm hoping to go along and just sort of see what that industry is talking about um, and what their insights are because, uh, you know, for, for, I don't want to say our members, but for brewers, obviously there's such a key um distribution point um and you're seeing a lot of competition you know hoteliers add in brew pubs you're seeing um bolter four pines you know fight for the tanks uh that are now hanging in hotels so it, it is a huge space and and smart play by carlton draft if that's who their target audience was but doesn't feel like it was a consumer audience of 18 to 39 year olds Anyway, could be wrong. <laughs> it makes for good conversation. It certainly does. And maybe, hey, all press is good press. Next, a little item of news. Vic Return appointed as scheme coordinator for the Victorian CDS scheme. Uh, leading beverage companies help to deliver new Victorian container deposit scheme. Vic Return, uh, this is a media release, but um, Vic Return were appointed as scheme coordinator uh, they are a not-for-profit entity with members comprising of Lion, Coca-Cola, Euro-Pacific and Asahi Beverages, with each having significant experience in managing container deposit schemes across Australia. 
and, and they say in the isn't media that release, convenient, isn't it? Um, and they say in their media release, um, as some of Australia's leading beverage companies, we are proud to be involved in container deposit schemes that help create a circular economy for our containers and importantly reduce litter. And I will just um, note that uh, today we received a media release from the Queensland government announcing that um, wine bottles and spirits bottles have been added to the container deposit scheme in Queensland. So um, bringing a little bit of tiny bit of equity to the table here in Queensland. But again, it's immediately saying that they've done it without providing any statistics for the volume of containers that have been diverted from going in general waste as opposed to the existing recycling you don't walk down the street and see wine bottles littering it. You don't see many beer bottles or beer cans littering the streets because they do seem to be going into recycling. Um, you do see plastic water bottles. Yep. So, um, Matt, look, if we had lots of money and resources at uh, Brews News, I would absolutely love a deep dive into the actual efficacy uh, of these container refund schemes and what it's costing the brewing industry. Maybe I'll do that on my holidays. Maybe you will. No, you're supposed to be taking a holiday. <laughs> Otherwise, be... if you want to give us the resources yeah. so that we can continue to dig d- deeply into this sort of thing, you could join our good friends at Rallings and take advertising in this podcast because it's money from people like Rallings who also do stuff like labels and things like that. But, you know, their true service to the industry is sponsoring this podcast. And you two can join them and have a little bit of the Bruise News effect for your brand. If you would like to find out about the Bruise News effect for your brand and get a testimonial for how good our advertising is, you can call Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235. And while you're at it, talk about labelling. Great. Matt, were you talking to a small, was it you who told me that you were talking to a small brewer recently who was just talking about the cost of packaging and the cost of these container refund schemes? Yes, broadly, I was. And just sort of saying what a significant contributor it is to the cost of sort of packaged product and what it would mean to even bother to consider to go down that path as a small brewery. Oh, it's, it's, it's hugely expensive um, to, to, to go down. You know, I think they said something like 19 or $20 once you look at the cart and the label, the closures, the, you know, the, 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 the can, the labeling, um, the container deposit scheme, you know, all of that sort of stuff, the, the, the design. It ends up being about $20 a carton. The beer in the bottle is, is one of the smallest costs yeah. in a takeaway packaging of beer. And so, like, you know, rounding it back to this scheme, um, as as I said to Matt when we got this, I know from the work in New Zealand that all of these large beverage producers have a keen interest in being, comprising the not-for-profit that then runs the scheme. And I hope that there is a hope, I know certainly the IBA are are looking at it, that there would be a... um, uh, that there would be a that if they are indeed all running all of the schemes across all of the um, states and territories, there would be the opportunity to create a nationalised uh, efficiencies in the scheme, um, and and because they have an interest both ways, these entities, you know, that's the hope there. And then if you add whatever, you know, how much tax is it on a five percent pale ale, Ian, for a for a carton of 24. 
$20.02, Matt, 5% alcohol beer. There you go. So $40 uh, for, for a very small brewery uh, doing these sorts of things is the cost of uh, just packaging and, and, and tax before you even put beer in that bottle. And that, that $20 a case is is uh, probably about right. I had it in the top of my head, $17.50-ish um, for that, but that wasn't counting in CDS. So if you look at 24 cans in there, yep, it's probably pretty well smack on 20 bucks. So moving on to my poor segue, Coles Liquor Chief Executive Darren Blacker steps down. Uh, Coles announced that he's stepping down from Coles Liquor to return to the UK uh, with his family. Coles say our liquor business is being transformed for customers and has delivered sales growth of more than 15% in the past three years. Blackhurst will continue to lead Coles Liquor until the 30th of June and a recruitment process for his role has commenced. And, you know, the reason this is news and is significant is um, sort of the... the um, unreasonable comment I was making earlier, which is really just around um, the role that these uh, retailers have. And he very much guided the last couple of years of Coles as they've really ramped up their Coles liquor strategy. So So he's, you know, a significant player in what is the current marketplace. Um, So in other news, um, just a couple of items to cover off. We've got a few, a couple of really great brew pros that have gone out in the last couple of weeks. Um, One is a trade show podcast with Brutique and Ferment Craft around brew house automation and some interesting insights they had there. The second was a panel that Matt led uh, with experts out of the US on their crop uh, their hop harvest season and crop update um, that was at the Bintani Trade Day in February. But some really interesting insights from them um, and, uh, you know, always good to, get to to know what's happening on the other side given our reliance on those hops. Um, and finally, Matt, you also had a conversation, there was a conversation with Dylan Firth from the Brewers Association of New Zealand Uh and I was lovely to hear Dylan's voice because I miss hanging out with him. Uh, but it was, um, so that's a personal aside, but it was really interesting. I mean, I think that the role of advocacy, uh, as we're hearing in all of these issues, um, can't be understated. And Dylan and the Brewers Association do a huge amount of work in that space in NZ. So interesting chat. Hmm. It was a great chat. I had a, when I was in New Zealand, I had a really good chat that I wish I'd co- been able to capture some of that. But of course, people always speak a little, particularly in those roles, speak a little bit more frankly when there's not a microphone in front of them. But it was a, still a really, really interesting chat. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I'm uh, 95% of the way through it at the moment. Just a few more minutes to, to listen to. Good. HPA have announced their inaugural Bathhouse Hops Academy Down Under. Um, This is sort of a training opportunity for industry. We're just highlighting it because um, if you do want to sign up, it's the day before BrewCon um, on the Gold Coast. So no doubt that those places will sort of book out pretty quickly. Um, And then, Matt, we thought we'd do a quick revisit of um, of our discussion last week around our segment headlined Bud Light and Transphobes. Yeah, again, only I just wanted to cover this one off because I'd made a fairly um, strong statement uh, that, God, I don't even know why we're discussing this. It's a nothing, um, you know, Anheuser-Busch 
wouldn't have made this move without having thoroughly checked and tested and you know known that it was safe and of course i think within a day or so they'd already um you know the 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 backlash was so strong that they were running ads talking about unifying america and, and and things like that and uh you know have had a significant sales slump um and uh you know their ceo uh, put uh, out uh, a statement that it was criticized on both sides for being both a statement and a non-statement it sort of said nothing so well, um, but yeah trying to back away you know with, with, without looking like you're backing away um which again it's look it, it's a shame that these issues you know i, I, I you know i guess on, on one hand making positive statements about Inclusivity is a really important thing for the brewing industry to, to be seen to be doing. But then there's always that suspicion that there's a slightly cynical marketing uh, element. So, yeah, it's a shame that this topic had to be so divisive, really. But I, I just didn't want to, have, having been so, uh, oh, look, they would have, they knew exactly what they were doing. Clearly, they didn't. Well, the statistics um, came out and said that their sales are down, right? 15%, 20%. Yeah. So it had a sales impact um, and which is why you're watching the business now, um, you know, take different approaches. But it just, it certainly shows a different media environment in the US than there is in Australia. Um, and, you know, it sucks to be them. And the the other um, thing, I had some feedback from Nick Boots uh, from the, the the chat about vertical integration by big retailers, and Nick agreed to let us uh, share that. Um, again, one of the reasons I thought that the chat with him was so good was he was willing to delve into areas, you know, for a consultant that you know, as he says, I've got a couple of thoughts to share that may not be popular. Um, retail vertical integrations happen throughout the world, nearly every uh, FMCG sector. It's not illegal, and I don't know of a country in the world who banned it, and I don't think there's a chance of it being stopped or controlled by legislation in Australia. Why do they do it? Two reasons. To maximise their margin by cutting out a third-party brand owner um, and to create exclusive brands that can't be purchased from competitors, thereby driving loyalty to their stores. Completely understand those reasons. I think one's valid, one's actually destructive, um, but I'll come back to that. What categories do retailers target for their own brands? Large categories. Categories that retailers believe lack of broad number of strong brands. Categories that retailers believe lack innovation. Categories where retailers believe manufacturers are making very strong margins. Categories where production is easily replicated in a contract situation. Um, While they're having a good crack at beer, it's nothing compared to wine and spirits. Um, Categories where retailers haven't been able to successfully vertically integrate include confectionery, energy drinks, toothpaste and soft drinks to name a few. Why? These brands and these categories are too big and strong. In addition, the COGS, cost of goods sold, benefit the big guys have cannot be matched by contract manufacturers. Finally, these manufacturers spend tens of millions of dollars each year on innovation um, and advertising, I'd say. They are staying ahead of the retailers' insights. So if our contract manufacturers just jacked their prices... Well, why would they do that? Because contract manufacturers... Business well, is based on doing contracting for these guys because they'll get more volume by and large from the retailers. But I, I just thought, just in, in in relation to the what categories do retailers target? Large categories. Beer is a large category. Categories that retailers believe lack a broad number of strong brands. Well, you know, this is a case where beer is all about brand, and there are very very strong brands, and they're coming into coattail 
on those stronger brands and those stronger categories. Um, categories that retailers believe lack innovation. Again, I don't think, you know, th- th- these are all probably very real points, but it's one of the things that I think is really cynical and acidic to the, the, the brewing industry because craft brewers have been very innovative. And as soon as any of the innovations gain market share, that's exactly the category that and and as even with strong brands, that's exactly the category that the retailers go into because they have, particularly in the case of Endeavor, they have the data category where retailers believe manufacturers are making very strong margins. Maybe the the, the major brewers are making very strong margins, but the small brewers certainly aren't, um, and they're cutting those margins as much as they're cutting the the, the big brewers' margins. Um, and and that again, that makes the whole industry much less um, innovative um, if if you lose the small players. And at the same time, the big retailers aren't innovating. So yeah, and uh, categories where production is easily replicated in a contract situation, very much beer because beer is made in a factory and it can be it can be replicated. So yeah, look, I, I, I thank Nick for his for his feedback and uh, really really great insights. On that, that last section there, Matt, um, categories where production is easily replicated in a contract situation, and then going on to some other stuff. Nick says about what you can do to to help yourself with there. Well, that, that's okay. that's yep. a key point. There is that um, make your beer a product that's not easily replicated in a contract situation. So we're probably not going to see uh, Woolies come out with a barrel aged wild beer or barrel aged beer in general, or something that takes a very long production time because and that's not going to be easily replicated at any facility. It is, but it's the question then, you know, Ian, like the market size for that, like you've really got to know. It's too small too, yeah. It's too small for for the retailers to be interested and, you know, are the margins given that you've got to have space and, and, you know, like it it, it is a whole question. Interestingly, I was speaking to somebody not in the beer industry and I was explaining that there were home brand beers, for one of it. And they said, oh, who would want a home brand beer? And I said, well, you don't know it's a home brand beer. It's beautifully designed. It's got a name on it. And they're like, oh, so you don't know. And I said, no, you would work into walk into Dan Murphy's. You're going down the shelves. You wouldn't know who makes that beer necessarily. And I don't want to harp back to Matt's truth in labelling question. Um, but, you know, it really does make it really, really, really makes the point for um, breweries to, um, you know, if you're going to use the indie seal as your differentiator, do that. If you want to explain that it's made at a brewery, do that. Artwork is beautiful and people look at the cans, but if, if the industry wants to set itself apart from other beautifully designed cans, it's going to have to educate the consumer at the point of sale. I'll be very interested to see whether the big retailers work with the IBA to promote the indie indie seal in store. Yeah. Because it's against their interests. And and to, to your point that it's very hard to tell a home brand beer, you know, they quite often make the Coles brand or the Woolworths brand in store look very generically like the category Absolutely. Leader. Yeah. Um, but in, in beer they actually don't try and make it look generic. You know, it's it's a it's X, a brand y, design. Z brewing company. It's and, and yeah. it's designed because they know the beer is a purchase. 
that by and large we buy emotionally um, much more than we buy, uh, like, uh, you know, if you look at the discount petrol stores, they attract a different customer than the branded petrol stores, even though the product is by and large very, very similar. And there are certain product categories that we have a strong, you know, we, we don't want a black and gold. We don't want to turn up at a party and drink black and gold um, beer because it is a statement about what we value. And that's why the the contract brands for the big brewers so closely replicate um, craft, you know, niche craft um, products. Can I ask a separate question that you guys might know the answer to? Who owns Yellowtail now, Yellowtail Wine? Casella. So is that independent? Um, Who's the actual holdings for it? I don't know. Uh, I don't think it's... Um, I believe yeah. it's, it's the related. Casella family. I'd... Yeah, I don't think it's related to any of the other um, uh, big beverage producers. Okay. Because I now think of Yellowtail as home brand, right? Like, Well, it's a cheap, it's a critter wine. Um, it, yeah. Uh, anyway, it's just I, I was thinking about that in terms of when you walk in and you look at the wine section, I know that that problem of who owns the wine section is is as um, as complicated as the um, beer section and so it really much is a, it's a really a brand-led question there as well. And uh, Nick made the point around um, its vertical integration is happening uh, much more quickly in wine and spirits. So I just, I, I was just um, drawing those dots together in my I, mind. I guess the only other point, Nick's opening comment that it happens around the world, true, it very does. Yes. Very much does. But Australia has the most concentrated, I, I believe, the most concentrated retail market in the world where two retailers um, have, you know, extraordinary share of the liquor marketplace that whilst vertical integration you know, is happening worldwide um, for all of the reasons he said, its effects are much greater here um, because they're, you know, manufacturing, manufacturers have nowhere to sell at scale um, outside of the, the, the major retailers. Um, and so it, 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 it's a much bigger impact here, I would argue. And I think the other thing is that beer is not an export product. So whilst you might see vertical integration in wine, you will also see wine being exported quite significantly and, you know, in the case of New Zealand, be one of their top export products um, and a lot of money be put into export. That same money, so, so when we think structurally about the beer industry, um, that sort of focus, that governmental support, uh, that entire supply chain around beer for export doesn't exist. So it means that beer is largely a domestic market product, which means that when your market is then the concentration around that market of those retailers, it has an even greater effect, right, particularly on, on the product of, of beer, which is, as I said, is really difficult to just distribute more broadly so when we talk about that vertical integration too we can remember uh, we can uh, remember that it cannot just happen on a macro level like uh, big scale with with these guys um, we talked about the sale of a brewery to a hotel group um, not that long ago that's perfect vertical integration um, as as well a question um, I can't think of the answer to this off the top of my head and I'm, I'm annoyed at myself for it What's to stop Woolies from joining the IBA and being indie? I think the answer to that lies in 
um, one of the reasons that perhaps they're reviewing the constitution at the moment for the IBA. I thought that was what you might say because I remembered you talking about that last week, which is a, a very smart move on their behalf if they're going to cover themselves off there because then we could lose that thing that is so wonderful to us there now. And I, I do encourage everyone to join the IBA and to utilise that tool that they give us in that, that indie seal and we can then look as a group at what we can do to protect that seal even more. And I don't know that to be true, Ian, I shouldn't say, but part of the reason that the IBA is reviewing its constitution as to what makes an independent brewery is because of all of these changes in 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 the um, marketplace, in the economy and ownership structures of breweries and so that the current definition sort of from when it first kicked off several years ago is no longer 100% consistent um, with with the way that breweries are owned these days so and brewing brands and so on and so forth. So uh, that's part of the reason that they've kicked off that review. So one would think that if the membership voted and wanted to make sure that um, ASX-listed companies that had beer brands that were contracted could not be considered independent, then then they would have to ask for that to be drafted as part of the the definition of independence. Yep. I'm sure we can discuss all of that when the independence review is announced. <laughs> we'll see when that happens. Right, um, Brewery of the Week. Ian, you had a had a shout out. Um, so Brewery of the Week is brought to you by Bluestone Yeast, who can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you're after one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has got you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. Yes, Cauldron Brewing up in Harvey Bay. I was up there um, a couple of weekends ago uh, over the Easter break. Um, have been there before. It's an awesome spot. Uh, Martin and the team there, a little five-heck brewery, a heap of different beers on tap. And uh, as those of you who, who know me uh, will probably realise, I felt really at home when I was able to walk straight in and, and order a Belgian blonde and a Saison um, and quite enjoyed those and enjoyed the double IPA and those hazy IPAs, the whole thing there. The um, food, I haven't eaten there. The, the food menu read very, very well and uh, I had friends and family that were going to go uh, the next day. I haven't caught up with them on that to see if they, they did to go and try the food. But if you're in that Harvey Bay area, yeah, I uh, highly recommend it. It's a yeah, wonderful little spot and, and attached to a homebrew store too, so there's some vertical integration for them. Cool. Well, that sounds like a must visit. Uh, anything else, gents? No, that's all for me. Great. Matt, are we going to see you for one more week? Yes, you are. Before you head off on vacation? Well, okay. uh, I'm off for a week, so this is not the vacation vacation. This isn't the vacay. This is just the... Uh, I'm going over to CBC and when you're going all that way, you may as well take a little bit of time off. Um, uh, and so, yeah, off to the States. Um, and so I'll have so a you'll week. come back with all of the um, need to knows out of CBC. Absolutely. Hopefully getting some great conversations uh, recording over there. Cool. Uh, right. Well, with that, it wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, Ian Watson and Matt Kierkegaard. The show is produced and edited by Joe Holder. We thank Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone News for their support in making this episode possible. Uh, we'll chat to you all next week. Bye.